Hi, and good morning. Welcome to another episode of Ask Ellie Intuitive Insights and Your Questions Answered. Today is April 27th, and you're listening to another episode. If you're new to the podcast, I'm your hostess, Ellie Molina, an international intuitive psychic, educator, author, and founder of Psy Kids, a magical place where children and their adults can tap into their inner magic, psychic abilities, and learn all about telekinesis, telepathy, and much, much more. Well, Today is my guest. Uh, today, my guest is Sean McNamara, and I am super excited to have Sean here today. He's an author, a teacher, mentor, and human extraordinaire. So, Sean grew up overseas and was exposed to a variety of spiritual traditions. Early incidents of illness and surgery brought about a persistent fear and contemplation of death and of what happens afterward. In his 20s, Sean became a Buddhist practitioner in order to use meditation as a way to investigate the nature of consciousness and reality. But in time, he realized that many traditions eventually become rigid and limiting out of a need for self-preservation and at the cost of each individual's unique development. Therefore, he left the Buddhist path he had been following and stopped identifying with any religion at all. He found lucid dreaming and the out-of-body experience to be especially potent methods for his spiritual inquiry and free of the dogmatic qualities found elsewhere. He eventually applied his knowledge of meditation to telekinesis in order to illustrate the themes of interconnectedness and intention to his meditation students. Today, he teaches meditation, remote viewing, mind, sight, which I cannot wait to talk about, lucid dreaming, the out-of-body experience, uh, with the purpose of showing others that spiritual growth is still possible as an independent, self-empowering, and revelatory path. His main website is www.mindpossible.com, and that's one word. And at the end of the podcast, there will be links to Sean's work and his books and where you can find him. And without further ado, hi, 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 Sean, welcome. Hey, Ellie, um, thanks for having me today. Oh, I'm super excited to have you. There are just so many things that I want to talk to you about that I'm going to be like a child and jump right in. I know that traditionally people talk about how did you get started in this uh, realm? And we're going to get to that also. But I just want to share, because I am being like a child right now, that I fell in love with your work the day that I saw the YouTube video of spoon bending. <laughs> um, all right. You take it away. Tell us a little bit about how you did get started, and then we'll circle back to spoon bending and a lot of the things that we share in common, which is mind um, mind sight, even though I've got a different name for it. But I think I'm going to start using yours. <laughs> <laughs> So you want to know how I got started with everything in general, like my... Sure, tell okay. us a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of your listeners probably have heard my story a few times, so I'm going to try and keep it brief so we can get to the juicy stuff. But, you know, as you mentioned in my introduction at the start, I had appendicitis when I was seven years old or so and almost died. And that's when I the 
idea of death and mortality came to my mind and I just became chronically afraid of it. And that fear has driven me ever since then to ask questions about the afterlife because I was seeking solace in the knowledge if some part of us exists after the body dies, then things are okay. And I was terrified at the idea of nihilism, that it's just blackness afterward. Mm. And I was raised in a religious family um, that I wanted to find my own evidence for an afterlife. So I thought eventually I would start meditating, join a Buddhist community. But after years of that, I realized I was just doing a good job following that tradition. Mm. And I realized all too late that I had totally abandoned my quest for that answer, which is really a, a quest for evidence, for an experience, not just a belief system. Every religion has its own belief system about what happens after we go. I wanted hard evidence, a real experience that some part of me is not only physical. And when I was in my teens, I had watched this made for TV show um, called Out on a Limb based on Shirley MacLaine's book, Out on a Limb. And there's a scene there where she's hanging out in a hot tub at night, or not a hot tub, but natural hot springs in Peru, and she leaves her body. And so watching that as a teenager, I thought, if I can do that, that'll give me evidence that I'm not just a physical being. The only book I could find at the time was Robert Monroe's book, the yeah. guy who founded the Monroe Institute, his first book on out-of-body experiences. And it had one technique in it. It wasn't that helpful for me. So I tried a little bit. And as a teenager, I didn't have that much discipline anyway. So I gave it up. Then fast forward into my, I think, 30s now. I'd left my Buddhist community for various reasons, but one of them definitely being that uh, it wasn't giving me the answers I was really seeking. I was getting comfortable with it, which is kind of dangerous because <laughs> comfort helps you forget what you're really after. Um, but I left, and at that same time, I had found that many more books on the out-of-body experience had been written. And I focused on the work of William Buhlman. He's a great author and great experiencer and a good teacher, a great teacher of the out-of-body experience. So I read his books. And I probably read about 30 other books on the out-of-body experience and trained really hard for a few months. Really, really hard. And tra training hard for me means I trained two, at least twice a day. I would do an afternoon visualization practice or meditation practice, and then late at night, right before bed. And often in the middle of the night, I'd get out of bed at three o'clock, go back to my training area and do more of the techniques. And that's usually when the out-of-body experience would happen. So eventually I had my first one and that immediately relieved me of my fear of death. Immediately. Mm -hmm. There was no mm -hmm. question that my consciousness was operating separately from the body, or I should say it was operating in a way that was not identified with physical perception. Because mm -hmm. I have to say at this point in time now, uh, my understanding about the out-of-body experience is a little more sophisticated than it was when I had my first few because of everything else that happened after that. But after practicing that, I fell in love with telekinesis, mind over matter. I saw people doing that online 
you know, it's the kind of thing where you, you go into one topic on YouTube and eventually you start seeing these other topics pop up. So I started seeing kids and adults moving tiny objects with their mind. Some of them were clearly fake, but some mm-hmm. I thought, oh, maybe this is real. And I trained in that and wrote my first book based on how to do that because I realized there are no good books on telekinesis or in psychic development in general. There are very few good ones. There are good ones for sure. But most of them are just repeats of what other books have written. And they're very vague and, uh, you know, and it made me angry. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I'm going to write a really good book teaching people how to do this. After a period of time, I ended up getting interested in mediumship because my wife had taken me to a mediumship reading, a gallery reading, and my grandfather Mm -hmm. came through. Mm-hmm. And a friend of hers who died came through and um, I knew that the teach the medium was teaching mediumship. So I signed up for a year long course and that's where I really mm-hmm. started practicing clairvoyance. Mm-hmm. And she introduced us to using the protocol of remote viewing. I fell in love with that there. Mm-hmm. And so it goes on from there. Every one experience led to the other. It's like I was taking the principles of one and seeing how far I could stretch them. What else could I learn? And at this point, it wasn't anymore based on my fear of death. It was more of my love of exploration and my love of consciousness, love of the mystery. What are we and how does this mind work? The deeper mind. Mm -hmm. And also every time I would learn something, I would teach it because I was eventually had become a meditation teacher already. And I enjoyed teaching whether it's meditation or anything else. I just love sharing what I know. And so these psychic abilities became another vehicle for me to just spend time with people in the classroom or with friends, showing them these marvelous experiences that anybody could have is when someone succeeds at any of these abilities is such a joyful moment, an aha moment. And it's super fun. And there's still that quality of mystery to it. So um, I was teaching in the classroom for a while. COVID changed that. But people still email me because they watch my videos online and have strange experiences or they read my books. Or like you, they found a couple of my spoon bending videos and followed along and had success. And it's just wonderful hearing everybody's success stories. Mm, I think it's fascinating. Um, I have to interject because I do know that I think, well, I met you through the Institute of Remote Viewing. So IRVA, that's, or ARV, one of those, I'm not really sure. Because for me, um, I had never found a home or per se a community where there were other people doing what I was doing and understanding it the way that I understand it. Because a lot of people just have, we know how everybody's got their own view of what this work is. And so for me to find a community where people took this seriously and saw the science behind it and they understood all of this, it was like, okay, this is a home. So I started following you and as you, and then I have to share my, I have to share my spoon bending story. So I've been an avid follower of Uri Geller ever since the 70s, um, dating myself. But, you know, Uri and I are probably a little bit of the same generation. And so I followed Uri back in the day when he came to New York, et cetera, et cetera. But spoon bending at that time was only reserved for Uri, in my opinion. And it wasn't until it became really popular with a lot of people in 
um, the remote viewing community that everybody was like, well, let's go spoon bending. And I was scared. Um, the reason why I was scared was my ego was in the way because I started thinking, uh-oh, what if I can remote view? I mean, I yeah, remote view, check, okay. Um, psychic ability, check. All of, you know, uh, telekinesis, nah, not yet, not yet. So that was a little bit of, all right, now, what about spoon bending? What if I can't do this? What if I can't do this? Anyway, I said, okay, you know what? This is really safe. Other people have done it. I'm going to do it too. And it was October 19th, Sean. I remember this exactly. I was sitting on my couch in New York. It was pre-COVID and you were doing something. I'm not sure if you were doing it live at that moment or if I was watching the recording. It was a group of people in Oregon and they were spoon bending. And everybody ran to get their spoons. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get my spoon too. You know, I may have been live. I don't know if it was watching the live. I really don't remember that part. So I went and I go to the kitchen and I said to the spoons in the kitchen, who wants to bend today? And okay, this particular spoon stuck out and said, all right, take me. So I took the spoon. I went back to the couch. I sat there, I watched, and then you started the meditation. And during the meditation, I... I think I fell asleep or I fell into a very deep alpha or something. I was sort of asleep. And then I only heard bend, bend. And it was at that moment where I just like fully present bend. And I took the spoon and I bent it into such an incredible position that I jumped up. Um, my face was 15 shades of red. I was jumping in, in my home. Uh, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I was so excited. There was no one. And the thing is, there was no one to share this with because it's one of those experiences, right? You know, when you're doing this, but even if I were to turn around and say to one of my kids, um, I just bent a spoon, the response would be, okay, or like that. <laughs> okay. And I was just ecstatic. And my, I'm going to tell you, my, my face, Sean, was redder than red. And for the rest of, and then COVID happened. And so I started showing people how to spoon bend in the psychic development courses and they were bending spoons like crazy. So anyway, how many spoons can you bend? All right, it was fun. And I said, okay, now moving on to, now moving on to telekinesis. So that's where I went and that's you know, a whole other story, but you're here to talk about you right now. And so- what, how did you, how did you come? I mean, I, I know because I'm reading your book, but other people who are not, how did you come to mind site where, where, how, tell us a story about the, how that evolved and what it is. Okay. Yeah. So, so a lot of people are familiar with remote viewing and clairvoyance, and that usually has to do with seeing something that's distant in space or time that what I call mindsight, and I don't think I coined that term. I'm, I'm sure other people used it before me, but also it's known as seeing without eyes or mm -hmm. seeing blindfolded. In Germany, it's Zane ohne Augen. That's my worst German pronunciation. I'm sorry. That's all <laughs> right, not uh, bad. <laughs> And it's also not, not that new in Germany because I've watched videos that it came out a long time ago about this. But these days, people are familiar with it, mostly from, let's say, Caroline Corey's movie 
super superhuman or something like that. Yeah, right? superhuman, the invisible made visible, where half of that film focuses on children wearing blindfolds who can read books. They can see what another person is drawing on a piece of paper. They can play games in the yard, catching balls, chasing mm-hmm. each other around, all while blindfolded. So they could basically see without their physical eyes, which is not something that people interested in remote viewing, that's not what they train in. Mm-hmm. It's a different kind of site that they use. Um, so I started seeing these videos on YouTube. And I also started finding Facebook groups, particularly by two people, um, Rob Freeman and Wendy Gallant. And now they have two different Facebook groups that they both involve mindsight or seeing blindfolded. And these Facebook groups are amazing because Rob and Wendy record or have recorded so many sessions where they would train someone either in person or over Zoom on camera and they would test them looking at colors, reading letters, even reading very short words, just Mm -hmm. working with people over and over again, sharing whatever technique they knew of that they had practiced themselves. I also found videos of Robin Wendy on YouTube because they had spent about a month training, I forget his name, but a, a Russian man and his training partner had worked with Robin Wendy. And I know that Robin Wendy had also trained with other teachers. What I found when I wanted to look into learning how to do this was that you usually had to go to some institute or some organization and most of them are not in the United States, and spend at least a week with these people. And the fees are usually really high. That's several thousand dollars is what it would cost. And some of them make you sign a non-disclosure agreement because they want want to keep the secret. Mm -hmm. And then here is Rob and Wendy sharing everything so openly on their Facebook group and on their YouTube page, which I thought was immensely generous and really going against the tide. You know, they're just sharing not asking for anything in return, which is really great. Um, And so one thing I noticed though, was that everybody was training with somebody else and I don't have a lot of free time. I don't have a fixed schedule. So I found a way to train by myself. And someone could say, well, don't you just take off your blindfold and check? Like if you're holding up a a piece of paper of a certain color and you're trying to find out what color it is, just take off your mask and check. Well, that's really difficult because your mind needs to be conditioned to the darkness and st- keep the blindfold on for a long period of time during the training, even beforehand as a warm up. So, if you're taking your mask off every 10 seconds to check if you're right or right. wrong, you're putting a speed bump in the change of consciousness there. So, I figured out a way to, to check my work without taking my blindfold off. Um, and I have videos about that on my channel, but, but basically it's, if you, let's say you have foam cards that are different colors. I used Elmer's glue and I would just write the first letter of the color on the back of the card. So I could just feel with my fingers and read the letter. So in the case of black, it would be a capital B and a lowercase K in glue and blue would be a lowercase B and a capital L. So I knew the difference between black and blue or red would just be a capital R. 
and I could feel it. So I developed that and other techniques for a person to train by themselves. Uh, and I turned that into the book Mindsight. Right. And there's more to that story where that book came from, but that's that was my inspiration to write it. But also, I mean, I dedicated the book to Rob and Wendy because just so much gratitude for them and really for all the people who've taught psychic abilities in the past and just have shared things moving forward. For example, with the spoon bending, I didn't come up with that. Um, and Uri Geller, he's a different case because his ability, and he has said this out loud and in his books, it comes from his contact with extraterrestrial beings. Yeah. yeah. When you see him on video, he never teaches someone how to do it the way he does it. He can't. Right, he just right. he just does it, and he shares a lot of uplifting messages from it, and it's very inspiring. So it's good work. The kind of spoon bending I do is just what normal humans can do. <laughs> Mine is not an ability coming from ETs. It's just normal, and I picked it up from watching videos by Jack Hawk, who many people call oh, the yeah. father of the PK right. party. Right, right. He was an engineer or a physicist, a really smart guy. And also curious in, in uh, these abilities. And he taught thousands of people over the years in PK or psychokinesis parties. There'd be 10, 20, 30, 50 people present. And he'd run through the routine with them. And so I just watched his videos over and over again. So when I teach it, I'm really do it just using Jack Hawk's method. So mm -hmm. when people succeed, it has nothing like Uri Geller, when he would do his presentations over the radio or TV, viewers in that country or even in other countries would have experiences in their home, like the silverware in their drawers in the kitchen would bend. Yeah. <laughs> so that's how far that power would spread. Yeah. But it's not like that when I teach it. It's I'm just giving verbal instructions and right. the energy that people are using comes from them mm -hmm. and, and through their bodies and through their minds which I think is a different, it's a great message too. They're just two different styles, two different sources of energy. Um, but I've seen people do some amazing things. You know, I do, I teach spoons and forks, but I have a group of friends here in Denver. We get together once in a while and we've done it with steel rods. Oh, um, I saw, yes. Five eighths of an inch thick, yeah, three mm -hmm, feet long. Mm -hmm. And also pegboard hooks, which are, you know, go to your local Home Depot or your Lowe's, get a pegboard hook, try and bend it with your hands using all your might, right, all your muscles. Right. You can't do it. A very strong man could probably do it, but I, I can't do it. And um, I've seen those folded in half. And anyway, so it, it goes like it, it goes beyond just spoons and forks. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. I want to interject. Thank you. I love your stories. I want to just interject <laughs> one of my own. I can't help it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. Um, I started teaching Mindsight, but not a, it, we never called it Mindsight. We called it remote viewing. And it was back in 2008 when I lived in Washington State. We didn't, you know, it wasn't, we didn't even have a name for it. We would, the kids would wear blinders, uh, the mindfolds, and we called them blinders at the time. And we'd take them out into the field and blindfold them. And then they would go walk, you know, into like maybe this huge field that was fenced off and they'd be able to see 
and I mean, I can do this also, see a card that we had drawn and that was on the fence in a plastic bag so that we could not see it. You couldn't see it with your eyes open. You wouldn't be able to recognize your own drawing that you had. But the kids could all do this. I could do this. We learned how to do all of these things. And then later on, I came across um, Nicola Farmer. You may know her also mm-hmm. in England and the way that she teaches and um that was then I, after Nicola, again, she has her own method of teaching in her own school. And then, um, but I just, you know, had conversations with Nicola and it sounded as if what she was doing wasn't very different from what I was doing. Only again, different. I didn't have as many children anymore around me as she had. And not that I want to compare. And then I came across, I mean, obviously one thing leads to another. And then all the children in India, again, where you can just take the color and you hold it to their skin. And then they're doing this in Europe again. And um, so these are, this is kind of where I'm going now next. That's, um, and again, telekinesis, but the telekinesis that I do is very different from yours. So um, I've had three children move a domino with their minds again is it the day they had a practice sitting still not being able to move not touch it not touch the table hold out their hands they would hold their hands out now where the energy was coming from their hand to move the domino does it really matter okay i mean it moved it fell and so but i've only seen three children do that and of course moving spirals is that you know we can look at that as telekinesis also that's how i perceive it and i've had adults be able to do that and the spiral i can move um but anyway this is not about me this is <laughs> this is really about being able to do this and like i always talk and say that i believe from the time i was little that the stuff was that we were all able to do this and then when i remember reading um, Heinlein, Stranger in a Strange Land, I knew that the, his main character uh, was able to do all of these things with his mind. And I just knew we can all do this. We just need practice and patience. So anyway, now I'm talking about me over here, but I'm just so excited. <laughs> I'm just excited to have somebody to talk to who gets this and does, this, you know, very, very, I'm going to say the same or similar work, you know, so, um, ooh, what's next? Where are you going now? What are you doing next? Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, it's tough because um, <laughs> you might have to edit out this long pause, me stalling mm-hmm. to think about it. But because <laughs> I could go in different directions here. One is that I'm – I mean <laughs> – at some point in my life extraterrestrial presences and ufos entered the picture Mm -hmm. and i know i'm not alone in that many people Mm -hmm. develop their psychic abilities and suddenly they start having these experiences either seeing something in the sky or seeing something in the liminal state which is where i first had my experiences and i think training to be aware in the sleep state so my consciousness is awake to have a lucid dream or an out-of-body experience to me they're just different gradients on a spectrum of awareness so learning to hold my awareness while my body is physically asleep i think prepared me to have encounters with non-human beings and these days 
you know, I could say ETs or whatever, but this is something that's been going on for a long time. And people have encounters with spiritual beings, with people who've like loved ones who've crossed over. Anyway, the dream state, the liminal state, the out-of-body state are all capable of becoming a meeting ground to have encounters with those who are not necessarily physical. Mm-hmm. Or they can choose to be physical if they want to and then be non-physical. So I had some encounters at night. Uh, some were left me a little bit uncomfortable. One was quite intimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, you know, I'm very, I don't like to fool myself with any of this stuff with the psychic abilities. I'm always careful not to make sure I'm accidentally cheating or making something up or, or anything like that. And the same thing with these encounters, I thought, were these just a string of dreams that I had and nothing more than that, even though they had already affected me quite deeply. So I went to a weekend program in a place called Crestone. It's in the mountains of Colorado with Paula Harris, who's a very important writer and experiencer in the UFO world. She's a journalist who's interviewed many people for decades who are very much close to this topic. And Ricardo Gonzalez from Peru, who has had uh, eyewitness accounts. So he's had witnesses with him on the rooftop of his building as a young man looking up at the sky and ships showing up, craft showing up, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better word. Mm -hmm. Many, many times he's done that. So he came to Crestone and I went there to be with them, with a small group of people, because I thought if I see something in the sky, then I know what I experienced in my bedroom at night Mm -hmm. wasn't just me making something up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, (laughs) something showed up two nights in a row. Very interesting things. And I was at, at night. So we're talking about seeing lights, strange lights but also lights that could respond to your intention. So that particular weekend, Ricardo suggested we ask for verification. And these lights were doing something called the flashbulb effect where a pinpoint of light would show up suddenly and then it would bloom into this bright and large light and shrink down again. And he said, we have to be careful with that because sometimes when that shows up, it could be a a rocket, a human-made rocket returning from space burning up in the atmosphere or it could be any other any number of other things that are human made he said what you want to do is ask them for verification ask them to do it again in your mind and they can sense what you're thinking so we saw the flashbulb and then okay ask for verification and boom it happened again and so Fast forward to, I think the year after that, or a year and a half after that, I went to Utah to stay in a yurt by myself for three nights. And I used the same technique and they did verify and strange things happened there too. Anyway, so where, I'm, where am I going next with this is I've been getting more interested in the whole UFO topic, which has been a blessing and a curse because it's very interesting but i'm seeing some things that kind of irritate me Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. there's a message that many people seem to receive from ufos or from ets and that message is 
humans, fix your planet. Your, your planet is in trouble. And the way you guys treat each other is no good. Please work with each other, cooperate with each other and cooperate with the planet. This planet is important. UFOs have been reported over nuclear weapon sites, like turning mm -hmm. off nuclear weapons or manipulating them. And the message seems to be, we don't like nukes. <laughs> They're bad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what I notice is, we have an opportunity, all of us, myself included, to change the way we live to benefit the planet or to stop damaging the planet so quickly and so much. And I worry that we don't really take the message to heart, but instead we go back to the next UFO conference and look up at the sky again for more entertainment. Mm -hmm. okay. How many times do you need to see a UFO or how many times do you need to hear the UFO message that we need to help our planet and help other humans before we actually start doing it? Yeah, yeah. So I've created a survey that people can still fill out right now on my website, mindpossible.com. It's called the Future Planet Survey. Mm -hmm. It has to do with how people responded or how they feel about seeing UFOs in the news because they started showing up a lot more back in 2014, I think. It was an incident that happened earlier, but this is the Nimitz incident, mm -hmm. the Tic Tac UFO. It's been on CNN, Fox mm -hmm. News, NBC, yeah. all, all the stations. But I remember seeing uh, like on CNN's website, you had to scroll down past three or four stories before you got to the UFO pictures. Like, how is that not the number one headline? And maybe some pots, pop singer's divorce is number three, mm -hmm. and then the UFO being mm -hmm. captured on film by an Air Force jet <laughs> that comes afterward. Right. So I'm curious about how people responded and how they would respond if it happened again, but they saw a craft floating over their own city. Mm -hmm. How would they respond? And ask other questions about society, about culture, about belief systems and who people trust. And I'm writing a book based on the results of that survey. Oh, so how cool. It's still open. There are incentives that I give mm -hmm. to people for filling it out. And that's all on the website. Um, I don't need more replies at that point. I've received plenty, but I'm leaving it open because people have emailed me after completing it saying, thank you. Because after just going through these questions, I'm thinking differently about the whole topic. And I'm thinking differently about what life is about. So I'm leaving it open now just as an experience. Just go through the survey. I'm, I'm just speaking generally. And, yes, your, yes, mind yes. and mm -hmm. your, your point of view will be altered, hopefully for the better. You know, or it'll just it's like holding up a mirror to yourself. It'll ask mm -hmm. you questions you never ask yourself. And you go, huh, I never thought about that before. Interesting. Well, you know I'm gonna go to the survey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so the, uh, hopefully the book will be done sometime in 2023 based on the results. It's also going to be a guide, like mm -hmm. a co coping guide for mental health mm -hmm. because these things are happening more often, it seems. Mm -hmm. And not everyone's going to be happy about it. Not everyone's going to respond positively to it. It will be stressful. It will create issues for some people. It's not always a lovey-dovey experience. And I'm receiving training right now as a therapist. I'm working on a master's degree to be a counselor. Mm -hmm. So I'm receiving training on how to deal with crisis and trauma. And I want to apply some of those concepts in the book 
to help people if mm -hmm. next week they have their first sighting and they don't know what to think. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. That's awesome, Sean. That's awesome. I have to share a sighting now with you. I don't, yeah. I've shared it a couple of times, but I've always been very um, uh, kind of skeptical about it. So when I moved to Washington state back in 2008, um, by 2010, I had built a home near Fort Lewis joint air force base, McLeod, whatever the Fort Lewis, I, they changed the name, but um, my home was in the no-fly zone, so the only aircraft that was allowed to fly was military, and not even private planes are allowed to go over the area where we lived. It was just pure military. So when we first moved into the house, it was February, and I recall, I think it was actually February 10th, but I'm not, you know, I'm pretty positive it was, because this was something that I recorded in a journal, and it was 10 o'clock at night. And I was looking out um, from my bedroom, which had really big, big windows, and it, the sky was clear, which is not always the case in Washington. And right in front of my bedroom window were these three objects. I mean, they weren't right in front. They were in the sky. They were up. And I'm looking at them, and they didn't look like any, they didn't look like a satellite, and it didn't look like a star. And they were just hovering there, absolutely hovering. So I called two of my sons in to come watch with me. So we watch this and then they zoom this way, straight across, like boom, gone. It was over. And then I said, all right, uh, my son's like, ah, that's just military. They have really sophisticated things. I said, well, were they coming here to watch this uneventful house in the middle of the woods? <laughs> and, you know, why are they, if it is military, why is it so far away? Anyway, a lot of questions, no answers. So the following night at 10 a.m., I stood in front of the window again. This is true. It doesn't sound very true, but it's true. Mm -hmm. I stood in front of the window again at 10 p.m. and I waited and they came back. And so now it's getting a little bit um, freaked out, all right, because I wasn't, didn't know what it was, wasn't dangerous, didn't feel, I felt that I was being watched. Now the question was, am I being watched or observed by military or am I being watched and observed by something else? So I called my son and nobody came this time, all right? <laughs> It's like nobody's interested. And I watched them and then they left. And on the third night, and this was really rare, Sean, because three nights in a row of clear weather in February in Washington, where I lived up in the mountains, was unique. They came the third night, 10 o'clock. I watched them. They just hovered. They flashed lights. Um, in my, I don't recall if they were orange now. There were different colors. There were some colors to that on the third night. And then they just, boom, gone. And I never saw them again. And I would go to look uh, whenever the sky was clear, but nothing ever came back. So I was left with this question mark. And, you know, was that military? Was that UFO? What was that? I personally think it was, I don't believe it was military. I just have that personal feeling that intuitively it was not military, but what it was, I don't know. And yeah, that was the extent of my um, experience and never saw anything again, even though lots of people in Washington reported seeing lots of activity, especially near the base up in the night sky. Mm -hmm. But um, why am I sharing that? Um, because I, <laughs> it just, I think that um, 
you touched about some, you touched on a point that is something so important to me also. And I do want to expand on that a little bit. For me, it's not about the phenomena. So, you know, when we teach psychic abilities, we teach, you know, seeing without eyes, we teach telekinesis, we teach remote viewing. It is not, for me, it is not about the phenomena. It is the phenomena serves as an access point to recognizing that we are so much more and we are so connected. And that's where I go when I'm working with kids, even with adults, okay, to start opening up heart-to-heart connections, opening up telepathic connections, going to the space of love, and again, raising the consciousness. And so I see that also as the, you know, let's call it the UFO phenomena, again, that we connect with these Um, entities in such a way that it takes us on a personal journey, on a personal level, to a higher consciousness, a higher level of awareness of what is possible and how we are all connected. So again, like your message, you know, take care of the planet. Absolutely. What else would we think about doing, you know? So um, not really sure why I'm sharing with you, but I get the feeling that this is something that is also part of your work very greatly, deeply. Well, and you're, you're hitting on all the important points. Um, but before I go further, I want to talk about maybe one reason why they came and showed themselves to you. And there's this idea, I've heard other people involved with mediumship and also with UFO stuff talk about this, that beings on the other side, human or otherwise, say that when they look at us, but they see us from up above, let's say it's a loved one. They don't really see us in physical form the way we look in the mirror, but they see us as light. And when we meditate, we shine a little brighter. And I think that people who practice psychic abilities, their consciousness is a little more expanded also. It's the same way it would be for a meditator. And it's no surprise that in studies, um, studies have shown that meditators are more prone or more apt to have lucid dreaming and other kinds of experiences. So especially you, Ellie, you, not only do you practice these abilities, but you're introducing the next generation of children to these abilities. So you're surrounded by this field of openness, possibility, love, and, and discovery. And I think that's a light that shines brighter. And maybe they just came to say hello or see who is this human doing these things. Um, or maybe it's just, I, you know, sometimes I wonder when I had my experiences, did something change in me or is there a new communication link? Because I'm going to tell you something, Ellie, that I've never said. I don't think I've ever said this in an interview with anyone. I don't think I've told anyone other than my wife. But the last couple of books I wrote, or actually one of the last ones and the survey book I'm writing. I don't think that came from me. Mm -hmm. Uh, These things kind of arrived in my mind instantly in the middle of the night. And it's, it's how this sounds so cheesy as I'm saying it out loud. (laughs) Like I still have no confidence about this, but I think I'm, I think there's some guidance. Mm -hmm. But I can't be sure, right? This is all an act of faith that I'm writing these books. Um, it's just an act of faith. And, and the, because the point is the message in the, the book, in the books that I put out, it's not about how it came about. 
but none of this is designed to put me on a pedestal or make me anything special because I'm not. So if anything is guiding me, it's doing it in a really good way because there's no way I could prove it or anything. So there's no specialness there. All I have to do is sort of trust mm-hmm. that one way or the other, th- these things are being produced <laughs> for a good reason. Um, oh, um, it, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, absolutely. I mean, we know, we do know from channeled writing that writing is channeled. We know that there are people who, who are just given, I don't want to use the word download, but we don't have any other vocabularies. Download, uploads, information is just input into them and they write. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you'll take a step back, right? You're, and you, Sean, will look back and say, I don't even recognize that. I don't recognize that I wrote that. I don't recognize that as my own vocabulary. I do not recognize that. Who wrote that? That's uh, not uncommon, believe it or not. So, mm-hmm. you know, for you to say that this book is being, let's call it channeled, absolutely, without a doubt, all right? And um, you, you, you know when a book is channeled, okay? You know, <laughs> you can tell that you're not struggling through that and, and working your ego and your brain. It's like, oh, it's just, it just, it just flows. I think that's so awesome. And I'm so excited to read. I'm so excited to start practicing these exercises the way that you are doing them. And I have to say, start because I do them differently, but I'm going to follow your protocol now. And I haven't yet because I've been on vacation. Only I am going to be practicing it, your protocol with your, your method to see um, how this works for me. And I encourage everybody also to just start, you know, start practicing by yourselves. This is not something that you, you know, I tell this all the time. You don't really need, you need a teacher or a mentor to start the process. But, you know, it's like teaching someone how to meditate. We can't meditate for other people. We can show them what to do, but then they need to do this themselves. And doing psychic work, telekinesis, even going to communicate with um, other beings, this all takes time and patience and practice and perseverance, right? It's not a one-shot deal. I'm going to go out today and find and find um, aliens, you know? So, um, yeah. I think that I mean, that's another valuable thing that you're teaching the children when you work with them at PsyKids Academy is self-discipline. Because mm-hmm. th- these days it seems to be a, a rare <laughs> commodity. Mm-hmm. I should be yeah. just pointing at myself as I say that I'm always working on improving my discipline, but uh, these, some people are born naturally and it's easy for them. I'm not that kind of person. I had to work really hard to have every experience I have. So when you teach people that they need to have that discipline for themselves, that's character building. And that's really important. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. psychic development is much like having your children learn to play the violin or the piano and it shows them that the mind grows, it gets better, stronger, skill development. And these are all incredibly important for long-term success in a person's life. When it comes to career, relationships, health, it all comes down to persistence and working at it. And psychic development is no different than that. So it's, it's a very positive and wholesome activity. You're just working with your mind differently, but it, the effect is similar to learning to play the piano. Mm-hmm. Oh, I agree. I agree. And all of the, the benefits that come with it, you know, like emotional intelligence comes with this. And this is even for adults, you know, being able to, 
control your focus to sit long enough and and not move your body for a few seconds, all right? And just be really aware of all of the things that we do as humans that we're not aware of. Anyway, it just takes us to a whole other level of what becomes possible. So that's always exciting too. It's, to me, it's worth, it's worth uh, 15 minutes of not moving because of what lies on the other side. It's always look at it like that. It's kind of like dieting, okay? Uh, not eat that brownie because you know what lies on the other side or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Um, Sean, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. It has been awesome. Will you leave us with something that um, the listeners can go find you and, you know, leave us with whatever you want to leave us with? Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, I've got different resources on my website and my the contact page on my site has my social media links. So all they need to know is one domain and that's mind possible.com and they can even contact me through that site if they have questions and i try as hard as i can to respond when people ask good questions right, right. i can't do it right away but i try and get to everything um, we try to connect with people that way so mindpossible.com um, and the way i teach i think i just want to say this is non-dogmatic like my way is not necessarily the best way and it's not the way for everyone, but I try and teach in a way that people can modify techniques to make it work better for themselves. Um, so I just like giving techniques, but the rest of the road is up to each individual. <laughs> but it's nice to have friends struggling along with you. So I'm, I'm also true. struggling with you. Yeah, it's true. Oh, awesome. Um, everyone, I'm going to put links to all of this and there will be a link on the YouTube video also and um, on the podcast. So for everyone listening today, please reach out to Sean at mindpossible.com. He's a fabulous teacher, mentor, guide, educator, author. And Sean, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today and being my guest on Ask Ellie Intuitive Insights. Yeah, you're welcome. I really appreciated the chance to talk to you. This was a lot of fun. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Bye-bye.